0: I can't believe I cannot listen to this. I can't believe I, not go, I cannot go to this place. Man, no, this this man loves what it is. It's not hard for him to do what is good. It's not hard for him to turn off the movie and say, no, no, that's wicked. I cannot keep watching this. And brothers and sisters, here is the beauty of the gospel. What God commands you to do, He will. He empowers you to do it. So these things here should never... Lead you to despair. But to hope. Because if God is calling you to this beautiful life. With these beautiful virtues. It's because He's empowering you to do it. The Lord has provided all that we need to live godly life. And He's eager. He's eager to empower you and help you. So run into His arms. Run to Him. Cry out to the Holy Spirit. He loves to reward those who seek Him. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we lift our eyes to You. As the eyes of the servant are upon his master, so our eyes are looking towards You, Lord. Thank you for placing a new song in our hearts. A song of victory, a song of peace. A new hymn of praise. Thank you for your kindness towards us. You have been so merciful, so gracious towards us. We pray your blessing upon this time as we Present new members, a new elder. We just pray that your arms would be around us. Your wings would be over us. As a shield, you go in front of us. And as our rock, you'd be underneath us. Be our all in all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's a great joy to be with you. It's always a great honor for me to be here preaching to you. Uh, But before we go to the preaching, we we have some special things to do. Uh, we, We voted on our last Wednesday meeting. We had the votes for new members, for a new elder. And today we want to present them. So last Wednesday we voted for new members and we had, and as I say your name, you can stand just so we can see you. We had Scott and Joyce, Cheryl, Wally, and Janie, all blessings that the Lord has brought into our family. We praise the Lord for each one of you, it has, it has been a tremendous joy to To get to know you and to see the Lord's working in your life and in our lives through you guys. And we are very excited to see what the Lord is going to continue doing in your lives, especially in this local body here. We praise the Lord for you. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you. What a joy it is to see the Lord bringing new members to this body. It's a great privilege. But we... We also had a new elder. Uh, and I, I I I briefly mentioned on Wednesday about Joseph and I just want to make public on this Lord's Day that he has been he has been very, very faithful. He has been a very close friend. I met Joseph in 2019. And since then we have been walking together, and he's a man whom I'm very excited to share the, the Office of Eldership and Overseer. Uh, his character above reproach. Also, it's very rare for me to meet a man who has more books, more still... <laughs> a man who has more theological books than I do. (laughs) So when I met him and I got to know his taste for books and the books that he had and the books that was borrowing from him, I was like, whoa, that's rare. And and we have been through a lot, a lot of hard situations. And through the storms, the Lord has deepened our friendship, has been a joy to see... Joseph and Annette, just growing in the Lord's grace and mercy. Uh, And when I first met Joseph, I said that Wednesday, and I repeat here, I told Rachel a few Sundays after I met Joseph, I said, I hope the Lord will cause us to serve together in eldership. And it's all about his timing all about his timing. When I approached Joseph about eldership, I asked him if he would aspire to be an elder. And and in his humility, he said, I would love to, but it's up to the Lord to do that. And after months ago, when we started talking about eldership, I brought up some things that I would like to see in his life, changing as an overseer, And his humility was overwhelming for a man who is older than me, has served as an elder in other church to humbly accept my comments and take to his heart and work on that. It's just a sign of humility and servanthood, what we need in leadership. So I'd like to ask Joseph to come here. He's going to perform his elder's vows where he's going to promised to do what the Bible commands him to do as our elder. So Jay, it's yours. You can get the mic, and that's your time
1: here. Good morning. As Guga said, uh, I don't take this lightly. I, can f- I feel the weight, the responsibility of the Word of God of this flock, and to be a slave of Christ, prisoner of the Lord. I will read the public declaration of my vows. I, Joseph Whiff, I affirm my faith in Jesus Christ as my only personal Lord and Savior. I believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and the only infallible rule of faith and practice. I sincerely believe the statement of faith and covenant of this church contain the truth taught in the Holy Scripture. I promise that if at any time I find myself out of accord with any of the statements in the statement of faith and covenant, I will, on my own initiative, make known to the pastor and other elders the change which has taken place in my views since my assumption of this vow. I subscribe to the government and discipline of the Salem Reformed Baptist Church I, with God's help, promise to submit to my fellow elders in the Lord. I have been induced, as far as I know my own heart, to accept the office of elder from love of God and sincere desires to promote his glory in the gospel of his Son. I, with God's help, promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church. Whatever persecution or opposition may arise to me on that account, I will, by the grace of God, be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all my duties as elder, whether personal or relative, private or public. I will endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in my manner of life and to walk with exemplar piety before this congregation. I am, with the help of God, now willing to take personal responsibility in my life of this congregation as an, over, as an elder to, the oversee, to oversee the ministry and resources of the church and to devote myself to prayer, the ministry of the word, and the shepherding of God's flock, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Salem Reformed Baptist Church and the entire Church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. May the triune God give me grace to fulfill this high calling. This calling can only be done in the power and the strength of our Lord and Savior, the only God, the triune God. And it can only be done in all humility, humbleness, and prayer. So I know some are out there asking, how can you pray for us in the church? Let's look at that real quick. Turn to Acts 20. As you turn, Paul is in Miletus. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He calls the elders from Ephesus, and he gives them a charge. He is using his own ministry as an example for us to learn by, and this can be a beautiful prayer guide for us. I'll start verse 17 to verse 24. We'll just highlight how you can be praying for us, how you can pray for each other, how you can pray for everyone, actually. Verse 17, now from Elites, he sent to Ephesus and called to him elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set my foot in Asia and how it, I was with you the whole time. This is his manner of life. First points, 19, serve the Lord with all humility. Pray for humility. And with tears, pray compassionately, pray earnestly. And we know that if we're going to live a godly life, it will be with trials. Which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Verse 20 how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house. Pray that we will teach the whole scripture of God, unapologetically and unashamedly, faithfully and earnestly. 21. Solemnly testifying to you, both Jews and Greeks, about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, that we will present the gospel faithfully, powerfully, unashamedly, in a world that wants to cancel us. Okay? Verse 22. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me In every city, saying that chains and afflictions await me. You pray that we will rely totally, completely trusting the Holy Spirit for this work of God. Knowing that as we pursue this, the enemy will fight against us. Do not lose heart. 24. This is our strive. This is our charge This is what I pray is written on every one of our tombstones. But I do not make my life of any account nor dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. That is a verse that we meditate on a lot. This is how you can pray for us. And now I want to pray for y'all. We're going to pray from Ephesians 4 for the unity of this church. I'm going to start with the first and last verses for us. The words of the Lord from Ephesians 4, verse 1. Unity of the Spirit. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for building up what is needed, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouted and slander, slander be put away from you with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, graciously, forgiven each other, as God in Christ has graciously forgiven us. Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children, walk in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up as an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We pray this in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Voted already on Wednesday, but it's time for a public,
0: public recognition. So I'm going to read a question and the members will answer, we do. So do you, the members of Salem Reformed Baptist Church, acknowledge and publicly receive this man as an elder, as a gift of Christ to his church, to oversee and shepherd God's flock? Amen. Amen. Will you love him and pray for him in his ministry and work together with him humbly and cheerfully That by the grace of God, you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving him all the due honor and support in his leadership, to which the Lord has called him to the glory and honor of God. Will you? Amen. 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 May the Lord be with us. Amen. May his grace be with us. What a joy. And with all this in mind, please open your Bibles to Titus chapter 1. Titus 1, starting verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. If anyone is blameless, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be blameless. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. may be seated, and may the Lord bless the preaching of His word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in His sight. Uh, what a blessing it is for us today just to behold the goodness of God upon our church. It's a tremendous gift of Christ to our congregation to see the Lord Jesus maturing us, causing us to grow spiritually, spiritually, numerically, giving us a shepherd after his own heart to oversee this beautiful flock here. You guys are a beautiful flock, a lovely congregation. There's no church i would rather shepherd than you guys. And as we have been studying the topic of pastoral ministry in Titus, it's a joy to see the Holy Spirit appointing a new overseer. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember that no church, no seminary makes elders. It's the Lord Jesus who appoints them. And we see the timing of God's wisdom. As the church is growing the need to shepherd his flock grows, The Lord places another shepherd here. You see the beauty of his wisdom. His timing is always perfect. Amen? Because the Lord cares for his church. He loves his church. So as we come to Titus 1 and you continue looking at the life of those who will be or who are in leadership. We are mindful in verse 5. Look at Titus 1 verse 5. Paul explains why he left Titus in Crete. And the reason is. Because Titus needs to put the churches in order. Churches must be ordered. It's not a good thing when churches are disorderly, when chaos is reigning over churches. Churches are supposed to be orderly. And one of the ways that God makes his church ordered is by appointing what? Leaders, Leaders, elders, overseers, pastors to bring order to the church. But we see here from Titus and First Timothy and other texts that the Lord does not just want order for order's sake. He wants order coming from orderly men. The order in the church must come from orderly leaders. And the life of these leaders must be orderly in three main areas. The home, the heart, and then his doctrine. His gifts in the church. His life in the church. So what we have here in Titus 1... Verses 6 through 9, remember, that's not an exhaustive list. There's much more that could be said, but those are the basic things that we have here. What we have here in these verses is the picture of a man who is blameless, meaning there's no blemish, there is integrity. It's a picture of a man who is whole in his life and his walk with the Lord. And I want to remind you that this text is for everyone. Why is it for everyone? Why this text in in, in Titus 1, verses 5 through 9 is for everyone, every Christian? We all must be aspiring. Amen. All, All of us here must be aspiring, seeking after disqualifications, because that's basically required of all Christians. We are going to come next Lord's Day to verse 10, where or verse 9, sorry, verse 9, next Lord's Day, where there is the specifics of elders, pastors, overseers, where not every Christian needs that. But most of the list is required for everyone. Besides that, every Christian is supposed to be in a local church, whose local church will be composed of leaders with this type of character. You want to be in a church where the leaders of That church has this type of character, blameless, whole, integrity. Because the life of the leaders will indeed affect the life of what? The church. The life of the leaders will affect the life of the church. That's why there is no way to love the church but not love the leaders of the church. So here's the outline of, we're going to continue. We're going to go to number three. That's where we stop last Lord's Day. Blameless conduct or blameless heart. The pastor and his character. That's where we stop last Lord's Day. And you're going to keep keep going here. Uh, and you can see in your Bibles, look at verse 7 through verse 8. You can see that there is a list now of qualifications He's moving from the home to the heart or the character of the the one who's going to be leading the church. And remember what I said last Lord's Day. That's very important. You have a, a first list of nots. He cannot be this. He cannot do that. But that's not enough. Amen? It's not enough. Because it's very easy for us to compare ourselves with those who we look down. Oh, I'm not a drunkard. I'm not a gambler. I'm not a, a greedy person. But that's, that's not it. The Christian life must be marked by virtues. Virtues. And he says in verse 7, look at verse 7. For, he's explaining here, for an overseer, or you can say the pastor. Remember, the overseer is the one who is watching over the flock, overseeing the flock. You could say the pastor, the elder, must be blameless, above reproach. And he must be blameless because he is God's steward. That's so important. Pastors do not belong to the church primarily. They belong to God. And their lives will reflect on the master. If you have a servant who is lazy, if you have a servant who cheats, how so he's stealing, that will reflect very poorly on the master. The character of the slave will be a reflection on his master. And that's why the elders, the pastors, they must be blameless. And then you can see how he, the next words, how he structured this sentence here is going to help us to understand what it means to be Blameless. So he's going to give a list of vices that cannot be, and then a list of virtues, and that's going to help us to see what it means to be blameless. And we saw that it doesn't mean to be perfect. No man is perfect. Only Christ, who was the God-man, perfect. And he starts the list of vices. You can see which, which vice? Pride. Pride is the first one, and pride heads the list. Because we can say that pride is the mother of all sins. A self-inflation of yourself, how you view yourself. You're better, you're bigger than even God himself. So it starts with pride. The deadliest of all. You can say that all other sins somehow will come out of pride. In James 4, we are told that God opposes whom? The proud. And you don't want to be in a church whose leaders are arrogant. Because if you're in a church where the leaders are arrogant, that means that those leaders are enemies of God. And then he goes on to give the other vices all coming out out of this nasty monster. Pride. And then in verse 8, there is a change. You can see in verse 8 that there is a change. But hospitable, and remember the, but, and now he's going to be contrasting, it's not enough to not, to not be like a scoundrel, to not be a, this horrible person, you have to be marked by virtues, and that's, Joseph was reading Ephesians 4, you see, there are things that we must put to death, and there are things that we must put on, there are things we need to remove from Adam that was with us, and we need to put on the new garments that is in Christ Jesus. So it's not enough not to be a gossiper. Oh, I stopped gossiping. Wonderful, but that's not enough. Now your words must be what? Building people up. It's not enough just to not be a gossiper anymore. Now you need to change and be a person who is known for speaking things that build people up. It's not enough now to not be greedy. Oh, you see, I'm not greedy anymore. You need to be what? Generous. That's the Christian life. It's not enough, oh, I'm no longer grumpy. You need to be thankful. It's not that people just know you, oh, he's no longer grumpy. Grumbler. Oh, do you remember how much he used to to grumble and complain? And then he stops there? No, but do you see how much he has changed? And he's so thankful and grateful. That's the Christian life, brothers and sisters. And we see that he starts with the list with being hospitable. And remember that hospitable, hospitable, depending on the accent that you have. <laughs> I was told last night that hospitable is a better way of pronouncing, but I like hospitable. <laughs> when I remember, I say hospitable. Remember that hospitable is uh, A demand for all Christians. That's what we we read here earlier. When you become a member of this church, you say, I will be hospitable. Because that's a command for all Christians. To love the stranger, the one who does not belong to your home. And by doing that, you're being like God. God is the one who has this massive hospitality. Inviting strangers like you and me into his place. It's inside the house, it's inside your home, that you will be able to show people your life. They will see if your home is in order. And that's the place where I can do a different type of shepherding. Most of my pastoral ministry is from this pulpit here, speaking to you, teaching you. But there is a different aspect of the pastoral ministry that's done in the private. In the home, when you come to have coffee, lunch, dinner. It's a different type of pastoral ministry. Notice that he's not only supposed to be a lover of strangers, but he's supposed to be a lover of what? Good. He must love what is good. He's a friend of what is good. He loves. He loves. He loves what is good. God is good, so therefore he he loves God. He's a friend of God. It's the opposite of the one who is prideful, who is an enemy of God. This man, he loves good. He loves what is good. It's not a heavy burden for him to love good. right? Sometimes for people it's, it's hard saying, Oh, I can't believe I cannot watch this. I can't believe I cannot listen to this. I can't believe I, not go, I cannot go to this place, man. No, this this man loves what is not hard for him to do. What is good? It's not hard for him to turn off the movie and say, no, "No, that's wicked." I cannot keep watching this because he loves that what's good. And then we saw also the last one that we saw last time was that he's self-controlled, or prudent, or sensible, meaning that his mind has been. Brought under the captivity of the gospel, of the word of God. And now he has sensitivity to what God wants him to be. And the, and the control of the mind by the gospel is manifested in the control of his actions. The control of the mind by the gospel is manifested in the control of his actions, his body, throughout his life. So let us continue here really quickly. Because I'll be honest with you, I, I'm timing since we started this whole thing. I'm not starting the preaching. I know that some of you need to take airplanes after here and, 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 and go. And we're uh, planning on having a special celebration today with treats back there. So let's try to move as quickly as we can here. So verse 8, let's continue. And that's where we need to pick up here. And he must be hospitable. Hospitable, (laughs) a lover of good, self-control, and the ESV has upright. If you have the NASB, you have righteous. If you have the King James Version, it says just, and it's all the same thing, honestly. It's all coming from the Greek word dikaios, and that's related to the righteousness or justice aspect. And what we can say is that the righteousness of God... The garments of righteousness that Christ has placed upon this man is now manifested in his life. That's what an upright person is. That's what a righteous person is. Brothers and sisters, this subject of righteousness is vital for the gospel. Think about the Reformation. So much of the Reformation was about justification. What is justification? How a person is made right. How a person is declared right before God. And if I were to ask you, what is justification? What is to be declared righteous? Have Kirk. Kirk, you believe the gospel that says that you are righteous. What does that mean? Sam, what does it mean, righteousness? Let me help you. I'm glad you're asking. Uh, the, The idea, especially coming from the Hebrew, where... We see first with Abraham that he was counted as righteous. The, the idea here is that it conforms to a standard. To be righteous is that you are matching a standard. And the standard is God's perfect moral character. So to be righteous is to match this standard. That's what it means. I'm righteous before God. I match his standard of perfection, of holiness. And that's why no man can do that. It's only through Christ. That's why we say that the righteousness of Christ is imputed, is placed on me. And now I'm righteous. I match that standard. So there is this positional aspect where I'm placed like that, but it doesn't stop there. Because of the righteousness of Christ that's placed on me must lead me to a life of righteous actions. Otherwise, it's a contradiction. If I just say, oh, that's what the book of James is all about, right? Oh, you say they are justified, but you don't show your works. Justification must be demonstrated through a life of righteous, just actions. So, for example, John says, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices what? Righteousness is righteous. That's James theology. As he is righteous. He is righteous. He put his righteousness on you. And now you walk in righteousness. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So, positional righteousness, that declaration that by faith, once you embrace Jesus, his righteousness, his garments are placed upon you. The positional righteousness is inseparable from practical righteousness. Meaning, now you live. Now you've got to live out that declaration. Amen? The Lord declares you righteous. So, you show that now through your life. Through all these scriptures, we see God being described as upright, just, righteous. And look in Titus 2, Titus chapter 2. Look in your Bibles there. Titus chapter 2. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled and what righteous, upright, just. So you see, it's beautiful because the gospel, the gospel that justifies us, also empowers us to be just. Amen. The same gospel that makes us, causes us to be declared righteous, empower us to live righteous lives. And pastors must love that which is upright, righteous. And there is a point in our lives where we must love what is righteous more than anything else. We must show uprightness, righteousness, in judgments and actions that we take. Merkel says, an elder... Who is righteous will make fair, just, and upright decisions for the church. And you must, by the character of the leaders in your church, you trust them. You trust that they are just. And that's so important. You know that they're not going to be messing with the different scales. It's not because I'm friends with Nestor that I will not apply the righteousness of God Because that's what happens if you have an unjust leader. Suddenly, he's sweeping under the rug things that should have been brought to the church. Because maybe he fears something. Maybe he loves too much this person, this thing. That's the importance of being righteous, just. You know that his actions, that their actions will match God's standards. When dealing with different difficult situations... This men must keep God's standards. And when you lose the trust in your elders, when you believe that your overseers are not just, you either need to repent from creating false accusations if there are no witnesses, or leave the church if it's true. You cannot be under pastors, elders, who are unrighteous, unjust. Next one, holy, holy. God's overseer must be holy, hosios, refers to a man who is fully devoted to God. Devotion, consecration. His life is marked by consecration to God, to God's word, to God's people. There is an interesting passage that helps us to understand this word holy here, and that is in 1 Timothy 2.8. He says, I desire then that in every place the man should pray, lifting up what? Holy, same, holy hands without anger or quarreling. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, the priests before ministering worship, they had to wash their feet and their hands, remember? So in Exodus, you're reading the priests they need to wash their hands. The feet implying how they're walking, the hands, their actions, what they do. And they must be clean before bringing worship to the Lord. So when Paul says that the man must have holy hands, lifting up holy hands, he's saying that the actions that these men perform in their lives are consecrated to God. So they don't have a double life. A life outside the church and then the life inside the church. It's the same life consecrated to the Lord. Worship must always be offered with this consecration to the Lord, devotion to the Lord. Then in Burke, he says, Their public expressions of worship must flow from a life marked by holiness. In other words, God is looking for worshipers who will worship Him in his spirit and in truth, not in hypocrisy. God cares very little for a man's religious performance at worship if such a man is living like the devil elsewhere. And you think about the pastors are the main men leading the worship. Sometimes we think that music is worship. Worship is the whole service. It's a worship service. And the men, are the elders are the main guys leading the prayer, the worship service. And you want to be sure that those men who are leading, that they're holy. Their lives are consecrated to the Lord. When the elders, the overseers, the pastors, they stand in front of the church to lead worship. The church must be convinced and convicted that these men are wholly devoted to God. The church cannot be wondering in their minds, is this man really holy? Is this man really consecrated to God? Is he really devoted to the Lord, to the Lord's people? In Ephesians 4, Paul says, And he's telling all Christians here, all Christians must put off the old self. And then he says, and now we need to put on the new man, the new self, created after the likeness of God in true uh, righteousness. Remember, just saw righteousness and holiness. So the leaders of the local church are men who reflect the new creation in Christ. They need to be an example of what it means to walk as a new creation. By a life of righteous deeds and devotion to God, holiness. So When you look at this man, you see that there is a clear devotion, consecration to the Lord, to the church. There is no question in this man's life that he is devoted to God. You know that there is devotion to God, to God's word, to God's people, to God's holiness. And even outside the church, even the world knows that he's devoted to his God. Amen? It's one thing when it's a surprise for people to know that you're devoted to God. They need to know that. Oh, man, I know I cannot invite so-and-so because it's Sunday and he's not going to come Sunday morning because he's devoted to his God, to his church. Especially in days when devotion to the church, consecration to the Lord, to the Lord's day, devotion to the holiness of God is decreasing. You see, the love of many growing cold. Those in pastoral ministry must have this life of example, what it means to be devoted to God. Amen. And I, and I would say this whole church here, I see looking Generally speaking, the members of this church, how you are devoted to God. It's beautiful. Your devotion to the Lord, your devotion to the Lord's day. There are some here who, for example, Jeff Fairchild. T- fair he, oftentimes, he, he makes sure that his plane is leaving after church. I used to know an elder, he would make sure that he was flying on Saturday. When he had to be there on Monday, where is the priority of being with the Lord's people on the Lord's day? And there are men, there are women in this church that you see the priorities. Okay, I'm going to lose a little bit of sleep, but I'm going to be in church with God's people. Devotion. And that's what's lacking in the Christian world today. And the elders, the pastors, they're to be an example. And the church just will imitate Because it's godly, it's good, it's noble. One more. He must be disciplined. Let's go here, Discipline. He must be... And I think this virtue here, it's interesting that's the last one in Titus. Because basically, without discipline, all the others will be absent in one way or another, right? If you're not a disciplined person... You have a hard time exercising godliness. Discipline is key to keep a life of devotion to the Lord, godliness. The word here, the word used by, by Paul, and Crates, speaks of power over oneself. The word group, and krat, takes its sense from the, you have the root there, krate. Which denotes power or lordship. And it expresses the power or lordship which one has either over oneself or over something. And that means that he has power over himself. He's self-controlled. He says he has control over the self. And that's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives all Christians that. That's why I said remember, the elders are not superheroes. What we have, it's the fruit of the Spirit given to all Christians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. The Holy Spirit gives His people that. To live a Spirit-empowered life is to live a disciplined life. I remember people in college would claim to be full of the Holy Spirit. And be lazy. No discipline. Waking up late, going to bed late. No discipline. No self-discipline. How can you be full of the Spirit if the Spirit gives you self-discipline? Discipline Discipline will enable the pastor to cultivate the virtues and to put to death the vices that he must. And that's one of the reasons why the elder cannot be a recent convert we are going to see next Lord's Day. Because these virtues take time to be cultivated. Takes time to be proven. It's a lifestyle of self-discipline that takes time for people to see. It's similar. The same language here of uh, self-discipline is used for sports. Paul talks about the athletes, how they're self-disciplined. Think about athletes, gold medal, sportsmen. What marks their life is what? Self-discipline. They're disciplined people. Their diet, their timing, everything is the same thing. They have discipline. And that's why Paul used so often the imagery of sports in the military. Why? A good soldier is one who has self-discipline. That's why Paul used very frequently that metaphor for the Christian life. There are no addictions in his life. His whole life is marked by self-discipline. And it's... Sad, especially in America, where so many pastors—they are pictured as unhealthily, unhealthily obese, overweight in an unhealthy manner. So many pastors, isn't that true? That they are marked. It's, of course, it's fine to be a little bit bigger, but I'm talking about unhealthy obesity. And I and you have seen pastors like that. And that's a mark of lack of self-control. They cannot control their appetite. There are pastors that you don't want to invite them over for dinner because you need to save the paycheck just to feed his belly. It cannot be men like that. Men who you know they have control over their appetites. One scholar says, shepherding God's people is hard work. And discipline is needed to fulfill this ministry faithfully and effectively. And it's so true. It's so true. Open our Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's start in verse 24. And that goes to self-control of the mouth. What you say, how you control yourself. The things you say, Right? There must be self-control, especially in the pastoral life where you're dealing with so many people, people's issues. And to know that your pastor has self-control, he's going to control his mouth. It's so important to know that. Self-control in all areas. He's devoted. It's interesting because you talk about devotional life. Sometimes people say, I have a hard time doing my devotions. A man who aspires or a man who is in leadership should never be this type of man. Because he's so devoted to Christ that he has no issue. Actually, I'll be honest. It's, I would feel sick not doing my devotions. I feel empty if I don't do it. It's like You have to. You're so devoted to Christ that the devotion of part of your time is just a basic necessity. And that should be for all of us. Amen? So First Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, starting in verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises what? Self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, a crown. But we unimperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I will discipline my body and keep under control lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. And brothers and sisters, here is the beauty of the gospel. What God commands you to do, He, He empowers you to do it. So these things here should never lead you to despair, but to hope. Because if God is calling you to this beautiful life with these beautiful virtues, it's because he's empowering you to do it. By the gospel of Christ, he's giving you the power that you need to be just. To have self-control. To change your life. To put to death devices and to put on the virtues of Christ. So i tell you, do not be despair. Be hopeful. These things are beautiful. And as we saw last Lord's Day, the Lord has provided all that we need to live godly lives. And He's eager. He's eager to empower you and help you. So run into His arms. Run to Him. Cry out to the Holy Spirit. And He loves He loves to reward those who seek Him. Amen? And we'll continue journeying through this text next Lord's Day. And remember, these things here are for all of us. And the gospel empowers us to be this type of men and women, young and old. Amen? Amen? To dress ourselves with this godly, garment that will be very very attractive in giving glory to god father we humble ourselves before you we thank you for a beautiful lord's day and it's not done yet we have a whole day to honor you fellowship with one another we praise you we thank you thank you for new members thank you for a new overseer in this church thank you for your word Oh, Lord, guard us, protect us, deliver us from the evil one. We need you. We desperately need you. You are our master, our head, the true bishop of this church. And we need you to take care of us. Help us, help us to grow in the godly disciplines the virtues that you're asking us to apply into our lives for the glory of your name amen amen